junkies. Welcome back to another episode of the SNAP Podcast. My name's Natalie, and today we're sitting down with the chair of the school-based physical therapy special interest group, Lori Ray. Lori has been working in a school-based setting, both as a contracted physical therapist and a hired physical therapist through the school district, and now works at the state level as a consultant. Lori is the third chair of the school-based physical therapy SIG, and in this episode, we discuss the goals and objectives of the SIG, the importance of mentors in school-based physical therapy, advocacy within school-based PT, and much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Lori. So Lori, can you tell us a little bit about the school-based SIG? Sure, I would love to, and I'm so glad for your interest. So the school-based special interest group is a group of folks from across America and Puerto Rico, um, and we also have some members that are in the um, armed forces that are part of our group as well. So we have a little bit of a global reach. Um, and we work with members of the APTA and the Academy of Pediatrics, PT, um, that work in our public schools. And they, what I find is many of our members are members of several SIGs. So it's not just they're members of the school special interest group, but they're also members of maybe early intervention. They do both of those practices. Or they also are members of the um, adults and adolescents with disabilities um, SIG. Or they also are members of sports SIG. You know, so many of our members uh, have joined multiple SIGs, but schools are part of their practice. And the whole point of the school special interest group we had we have developed with our members a uh, our purpose, and it is to provide opportunities for section members who work in school-based settings to confer, meet, and promote high standards of practice on behalf of students with disabilities and their family. So that's really what we're about. Is um, I don't know what your members know about school practice, but it is a very autonomous practice. And one of the things I think our school SIG does is connect people that may be working all by themselves in a county with no PT colleagues and hoping they're doing the right thing and not really sure. And so we kind of um, bring, bring groups of folks that are doing the same work together to help us all do it better. I love that. And that's such a great way to put um, what a SIG is meant for too, is just to bring everybody together and it's so important for groups like the school-based or even early intervention when you're, like you said, um, it's very based on autonomy. And so you're usually not surrounded by other physical therapists and um, helps you have a community in order to ask questions or bounce ideas off of or um, anything that you may need. Yeah, that's exactly it, Natalie. And I think you know, it's especially, you're especially aware of it as a new professional coming into a practice setting, but that doesn't mean that you stop having that need. You (laughs) You always want professional sounding boards and folks to talk shop with and to say, hey, here's how I did this. How did you do it? Or, you know, to get feedback. So always helpful. Yeah. Lori, you have worked in a school setting most of your career. How was it getting started as a new grad? Were there challenges? I was nervous about taking the school job because people had said that is not a good practice setting to begin your career. So I went to my mentors in my program and I asked them what they thought. And they said, yeah, we, it's much better if you have a first job where you 
have a good mentoring team around you, but my advisor said, well, you're a good self-assessor, Laurie. So I don't, I'm not nervous about you being in there. You'll know when you're in trouble. And she said, I would just recommend that you go in there and you identify mentors, mentors and create your own team. And that's what I did. So I went in and I, I had like five mentors that I identified for various aspects of the practice, equipment, documentation, and they weren't all physical therapists, but I put together my own mentoring team. And, um, and I loved how functional and meaningful the work in school practice was. I loved how collaborative it was. And I just got hooked and I've been in it ever since. I heard that a lot that you shouldn't go straight into school PT because you're technically most of the time by yourself and you don't have that group around you most of the time. That's right. And I think that is a good caution, but I think that anything is okay if you make it okay. You know, if it's yes, you. Definitely. If you take a risk as a new <laughs> professional, you need to mitigate that risk and you need to put things in place to make it um, a good career step as opposed to just say, oh, well, I don't have any mentors. I guess I'll just do whatever. You know, it's like it, <laughs> it kind of requires a bit more responsibility on, on your part if you're going to do something kind of risky instead of true. Yes, definitely. Everybody needs mentors too. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. Everybody needs a mentor. Isn't that the truth? I, the longer <laughs> I'm in this career, the more I learn that. The people that don't continue to stretch and challenge themselves and grow are the ones that, that don't have mentors. Exactly. And I'm going to go back a little bit here um, to something that you mentioned about the SIG. I think it's very interesting that you mentioned um, that you have some members within the armed forces too. Um, do they have, I'm not 100% uh, knowledgeable about that side of physical therapy or um, even what goes on on the bases, but do they have schools on the bases and physical therapists who work directly there? Yes, yes. Um, so our, especially our larger military bases have schools and they're run by the Department of Defense. So oh. they're DOD schools. So they're a little bit different because they are not governed by all of the same rules and regulations that our public schools are typically occurring in the states. However, some of the rules do apply. And so they are very similar in that they are inclusive schools. They um, accept all students regardless of ability or disability. And they do have um, related services. That's what we call uh, physical therapy and school practice under the, the Individuals with Disability Education Act idea. Under that law, um, we, physical therapy is referred to as a related service because we're related to the education. And um, in the in the uh, the military bases, they are operating as a related service, supporting education in the same way we do, but a little bit differently, um, just because they are also governed by military regs and things like that. That's so interesting. That's a part of physical therapy that's not um, well known. Is that you could work on a military base within a school? Uh -huh. That that is so cool. <laughs> Anywhere there are kids, there's usually a PT. <laughs> that, that is so true, yes. It just shows you just the broad um, expansion that our field has. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So what are the current goals for the SIG? So we also, if, if you go to the website where you can find the school special interest groups, now you have to be a member to access our 
school special interest group page or any of the special interest groups. But if you are a member, you can access that. And we have our purpose and our objectives laid out there. But we have a variety of things we want to do. We want to promote high quality PT service for kids with disabilities in the school setting through research, education, and information based on a scientific foundation. As folks are out in school districts and kind of by themselves, they also um, may not have the best access to professional development or to colleagues, as we mentioned. And so we really wanna promote evidence-based practice. We also wanna bring people together. We wanna to bring people together and um, talk about the evidence and how we can apply it, you know, get it practical. We wanna promote it any way that we can. We wanna promote exchanges between physical therapists working in the public schools and other professionals because it's a highly collaborative um, uh, enterprise, especially yeah. in public schools. And then we wanna provide better communication between researchers, those teaching physical therapy in, a, in our higher education institutions and the folks in the field working in school-based practice because we see how important evidence is and we want to help shape the evidence so that it's meaningful and practical for those of us working in the field. Um, we wanna support high standards and promote clinical training. One of my goals is to make sure school-based PTs take a lot of PT students. Um, I want our DPT students to get good pediatric experience. And so, I think sometimes school PTs are a little hesitant to take on students. So we wanna encourage that and support high standards for that. And then also uh, one of our big platforms is advocacy. That's a, that's a goal for the academy. It's coming up to uh, get greater prominence in the academy. And it's always been something that school PTs do on an individual group state and national basis. And we want to continue building our, our advocacy skills and influence. Definitely. Um, I just want to touch on two different parts of um, those objectives uh -huh. that kind of might be a little bit different for school-based physical therapy than um, other settings. So at, you mentioned advocacy. How does school-based advocacy maybe look different than um, just going up on the hill and advocating that way? Because I know that specific pediatric physical therapists advocate every day for each patient based on equipment needs, medical needs, um, especially in the classroom. I'm sure you see a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but how, how do you um, get involved with advocacy with school-based physical therapy? Yeah, I almost think you can't help it <laughs> if you go into schools because there's so many things, like you mentioned, there's so many things we're advocating for um, on an individual basis. Like just as I go into a school classroom, I am advocating with that teacher to put a positioning program in place. That's advocacy. I am advocating with the teacher assistant to although she wants to be very helpful to the student, that actually what she needs to do is to be very um, standby patient and not tie the child's shoes, not open the door, not do all the things for the child, but to take the time to wait. So that's advocacy. And when someone, I'm with a child walking down a hallway and someone says, uh, another kid says to them, why aren't you walking? Why are you using that chair? 
and the child looks to me to answer the question and I say, go ahead, tell them, tell them what's going on because that's something we've worked on is so that they're able to express what, what is going on with them mm-hmm. and be able to talk to peers. But I don't answer that question. Um, then when I have a child that is not a citizen, that does not have any insurance and they are in need of a wheelchair, how the heck are we going to do that? And it's my advocacy that talks to the equipment vendors that I know and ask them if there's a chair we can have that goes to the um, various community clubs and churches in the area and asks if they could donate X amount of dollars towards this. I, whenever a child outgrows a wheelchair and gets a new one that does have insurance, I ask the parents to donate that chair to the school district so that in this situation, I would have some chairs that I could choose from. So those just off the top of my head, yes. <laughs> like evacuation, do, do each of my children have a safe way to evacuate? Is, is there a plan in place? Um, you know, there's a million ways we do this. Mm-hmm. Advocating with parents. <laughs> so I could go on and on. Of school physical therapy, you don't necessarily think about. You think about uh, having the student in the therapy room and working with them, but you don't think about the peer-to-peer interaction or um, just the wide variety of students and insurances you have to work with and mm-hmm. or not work with. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And then there's advocacy at the state level. Medicaid reimbursement is uh, something schools receive and I don't know if you guys have heard but schools have a funding problem and so anytime we can advocate for funding for special education and related services we want to do that Um, and that may include Medicaid reimbursements for for public schools. Um, Our whole practice is driven by legislation idea that I mentioned earlier so anytime that's up for reauthorization we are hot to get the APTA and the Academy letting the legislators know what we need in that legislation and making sure our voices are heard and that our students are empowered to advocate for themselves. Like um, I always let my students know when it's coming up for reauthorization and ask them what they thought, any changes and told them to contact their legislators and um, making myself available to any legislators who want to talk about an issue or have me answer questions, making sure they know someone to go to. So Definitely. Yeah, there's lots of levels to to advocacy in school practice. <laughs> yes, definitely. And we um, we did a couple podcasts about advocacy and physical therapy in general. Um, and so I know that was those were pretty high rated in our our um, group of episodes so far. And I know that that's something a lot of students are very interested in is getting involved in advocacy and how they can. Mm-hmm. I thought it was since you mentioned it would be applicable to just expand on it a little bit and show students and new professionals how it may differ or how it may look in school-based physical therapy. Yeah, you really need in school practice to advocate hard and negotiate hard for everything that's important to you. Um, but, it, but it does vary district to district. So that's, and the contract, same thing. Um, but Definitely. contracting can be great as well. And as a contractor, I just worked really hard to make sure that I got invited to meetings and, and got information, a little bit more advocacy on my part in that way, but same work, you know, same type of collaboration. Definitely. Another place to advocacy we talked about earlier, my difficulty with the HR categorization. 
And so mm -hmm. one of my early advocacies was for myself <laughs> to say, I don't think this is the correct um, classification for me. Look at my look at my training. Look at my licensure. I don't really fit in this group of people. And advocating to get a bonus structure that was in place for the other professionals got that in place for me. And yeah. I advocated for some budget for my own professional development because I was new to practice and I needed to be continuing understanding what school practice was. So I advocated to get money for that for myself. <laughs> that is, especially as a new professional, that is so important to just advocate for yourself and not only for your profession, but just for your continued growth and education and um, to advocate that you did go through all this education and you did have the MPT and, or now if you have the DPT, right. that's even, um, you know, more important to advocate for, especially coming out. I know I look like I'm 15 sometimes, so. Right, right, to, and especially if you do have a young, you know, happily a young, fresh face, sometimes you can be um, not, it, it, people don't understand the amount of training that you've received and the amount of expertise and what what you could get on the open market for your training and expertise. And so I think it's part of our advocacy to remind them uh, and to make sure that we um, stand up for our profession and our education. And in a, in a very professional and respectful way, not yeah. demanding that you take you take me seriously but right. <laughs> in a quiet way demonstrating the value of the education and just persistently saying oh i do have uh, this level of training and this is why i you know x y and z and i think um it's not what you do it's how you do it mm -hmm. and i but i do feel that um if there's something that you are missing if you never ask for it you will certainly never get it that's so true. So when I went into this profession, when I went into schools, I, I I thought I would have a budget to work with. I thought I would have professional development money. I did not. And so I said, huh, what is my budget? And my administrator said, there is no budget for you. What are you talking about? I'm like, how can there not be a budget? And I told her all the things I had planned to use the budget for equipment wise. And, and she said, oh, well, I guess nobody's ever asked for a budget. I said, well, allow me to ask for a budget, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so it, I didn't get it the first year, but I asked for it the first year. And so by the third year, I had a list that made sense and I, and I kept at it and I got a small budget. So that's awesome. Yeah. But, I asked for it. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, the other part I wanted to kind of touch on is the research part. Um, how many school-based physical therapists do you see completing research? Or is it a big task just because um, of all the hoops to jump through with parents and the school district? And um, yeah. just how, how do you see research in school-based physical therapy? So I think research is never a, a easy, simple enterprise. You know, we want to, not if you're doing it correctly, you want to make sure you get everything, all, everything covered. I, I do see, I'm, I'm happy to see that during the time I've been chair of the schools, we've had the school stage, we've had two um, large 
and several smaller research study opportunities come through. So um, there was the PT count study, which was a national multi-site study that um, was that folks were able to take part in. And there's been a tool developed out of the University of Oklahoma that uh, the school outcomes measure. And so our therapists were invited to take part in that. Also, there's some great research um, that Kim Warnick is doing uh, and out of schools and primarily generated by schools. And there's several researchers with an interest in schools. So I see projects coming up more and more, um, which I'm delighted about. So I think there are opportunities. I also like to encourage school PTs to participate in research by doing it. If you have a question, answer the question, you know, do a case study, um, figure out a partner that you could work with in, in a, a, a lo local program. Is it a project that's small enough that could be handled in a capstone and reach out and try to get that done. So there's a number of ways I see research taking part in schools and primarily it's by paying attention to the evidence and the research that's coming out and ensuring that we're applying it to practice. So um, that's the biggest thing, but there are some research opportunities increasingly so, and I'm excited about those. Uh, one other thing is um, Irene McEwen was a really stalwart uh, provider that I think of her as one of the mothers of school-based PT. I see Irene and, and Susan Efkin as a founding um, PT that really helped school physical therapy get um, established in, in um, public schools. Yes. Irene wrote uh, the book called Providing PT Under Ideas. She was the editor for that. She recent she retired a little bit ago and made a beautiful um, endowment of research earmarked for school-based PT. So I'm very excited once that endowment comes to maturity to see how that's invested in what happens with that. So that's a really exciting awesome. part. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> Well, that's cool. Yeah, I just, I um, wanted to touch on that too, because, you know, the it's not something most people think about in a school-based setting, just because there's not funding for research normally in school-based settings. So, mm -hmm. um, are you currently in higher learning now? Or are you still? So, I, I, I'm a little bit of a unicorn, Natalie. <laughs> I, I, I have a position that is a state level Department of Public Instruction position to consult okay. to consult for school-based physical therapy. Oh, that's cool. And I don't I don't know of any other full-time person. I know there are a couple of half-time positions. I know that there's one in Iowa, and um, but but mostly the state-level person is that is uh, the point person for physical therapy is usually a speech pathologist or maybe an occupational therapist or a school nurse or some other discipline where they kind of lump the related services together. Yes. So I have a bit of an unusual position and that position is funded and 100% about the public schools in North Carolina, but it is a contract that's run through the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Um, so I have a faculty position and I have, I'm, I'm a consultant for public schools. That is um, so cool and interesting too, because it's just another level of school physical therapy that you don't think about. Um, what, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. what are your tasks that you do day to day sure. um, in your current position? 
so currently, so right now, I am heavily involved with providing guidance to the field about telehealth because okay. as our schools have been closed and yeah. we're not sure when they're going to open, um, a lot of, um, there's been a lot of opportunity in terms of um, considering telehealth, um, the instruction is, is, going, is going remote or virtual or digital, digital, however your state is conceiving of it. And so we're, um, we're providing guidance and trying to make sure people understand all the considerations and what they need to be asking themselves, setting up, planning, and doing. Um, so that's a lot of my work right this second. <laughs> um, in, in the past, I do a, a great deal of professional development, as I mentioned, keeping um, the evidence getting out into the, to the field. So I do a, a lot of professional development. A great deal of my job is also what we call technical assistance, which is basically answering questions from anybody who has one about physical therapy. So I, I talk to physical therapists about assessment, intervention, the law, what their responsibilities are. I answer questions from physical therapy assistants, from parents, from teachers, from administrators that administrate special education programs at the local level. Um, yeah, so just uh, a lot of different things. I also work on policy as uh, we just did a major update of our policy and added some definitions of things that weren't defined. And so um, I contribute to policy discussions. I also serve as our Medicaid consultant. So I work with Medicaid, our Medicaid office and, and another colleague who shares that with me. And we try to advocate for school reimbursements to be um, have equity with other reimbursements of Medicaid and also to ensure that it doesn't create a, an additional burden for folks in those public schools to get those that cost recovered. Wow. So you you wear many hats in this job. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Every state employee always wears a lot of hats and I, I'm no exception. <laughs> that That's interesting. Just and thank you for sharing. I was just very curious about um, just how your job differs now than what a normal, yes, quote unquote normal school physical therapist. Yeah, I don't know. There's quite any normal school physical therapist. They're all yeah. very well. What typical therapist is there? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. <laughs> when I was trying to get into PT school, and I was asking people, "What? Well, so what does a pediatric PT do?" And they would always start with, "Well, I don't do what a typical PT does." <laughs> Almost everybody. <laughs> That is so true. Very, very true. Um, so what are some of the areas in the SIG that a student or a professional could get involved with? Because I know you talked a little bit about um, working with current physical therapists, um, taking on students and letting students come in as a clinical. So um, how are some ways that students can get involved before they go off on clinicals or new professionals who just started in a school-based physical therapy setting get okay. involved. So one of the easiest things I think you could do is leverage the resources we've had posted for you. The mm -hmm. school special interest group has worked hard to be responsive to membership if they have suggested, hey, we need a resource in this area. We put together a work group and we create it. And so we've got a ton, uh, I think, a ton of resources um, about what is the role of school-based PT, uh, what assessments are appropriate, how do you work with kids with autism, 
how do you do lift and transfer training? And there's just a, just go and check it out. They're all publicly available um, uh, on the fact sheet page. And then additionally, there, there are some that are available on the school special interest group that are member protected. Um, there's also webinars that we're doing on a, on a every other month basis right now. And you can just receive those. Now, in terms of getting involved and doing something, we always are doing work groups. We have every time a member mentions something, we ask for volunteers and put together a work group. So we put out a call to our membership. So if you are a member of the school SIG, you'll get that call. If something's of interest to you, say volunteer. That just offer your abilities. Don't feel because you are a new professional, you don't have anything to offer. People don't volunteer for these work groups because they know everything and exactly what they're doing. They volunteer because they're interested in it and they're going to figure it out on behalf of the bigger group, right? So always it's not, learning. yeah, always learning. You don't need to know it. You need to be willing to learn it and figure it out. So um, being willing to sign up for work groups, that's how I got involved in a greater way with the, the school special interest group. I volunteered for a ton of work groups and met friends. And then when I went to conference the next year, I have friends from across the nation to hang out with and catch up with. So that's always fun too. <laughs> the best part um, of a conference, right? <laughs> it really is. And then you also get a view of what's possible. I made friends with some friends that were in a state that had a union and they had a lot more protections in terms of HR. And so I started having higher expectations for my own HR and like asking for more things because I knew it was possible and I wouldn't have known otherwise. So all of that networking is great. Um, there's also, we, we're trying to improve our social media presence. So we have a um, social media contact person. And if you have things that you think would, should be posted, you can just contribute that to the to, to our contact person we also have a subcommittee for engaging membership and um i think that that is a wonderful way that you guys have a lot of ideas about engaging people and what is needed by new professionals we need to hear from you Definitely. so you can either send comments to that group ideas to that group or you could join that group if you would like um, and then on our board, we do have a student new professional representative. And right now that's Adrian Gill. Okay. And if you'd like to maybe talk with her to see what she thinks, because I, as the chair may have different ideas, she may have some other ideas of ways for members to get involved, but she is kind of your representative in our school special interest group. So you can go through her. That's one venue. The other way is we are organized by APTA regions and every one of you has a regional representative. So you could contact both Adrian and your regional representative and you can find that on the school special interest group. There's a list of, of your contact person. Perfect. And I will um, link all of these, um, either the contact people or where to find your regional directors and um, all the links in the show notes so that it's easy to find at the end of the podcast. You can just scroll down and find all these links for all the resources that you mentioned and who to contact and all of, all of the wonderful information you just gave us. Cool. Um, are there any current areas that you would like to see volunteers in within the SIG? Um, we are currently recruiting for 
updating. So we have a, a fact sheet called providing PT under IDEA, which kind of is the, mm, the starting place, I guess. And that has not been updated in quite a while. So we're, we're recruiting right now a group to update that. And I think that we have, we have a few work groups that are working right now. I think that might be the only one that's actively recruiting, but if, okay. you, get in, but if you get in touch with your regional representative, um, they may have some things going on regionally that you could get involved with. That's yes, definitely. Um, and those, oh, I, oh, sorry, Natalie, I just thought of no, two other okay. things. Uh, <laughs> We're doing regional town halls, so you can you can just join in on the regional town halls that are going on for school SIG, and that's posted on the academy website. And then the the uh, last thing I'm thinking is we have quarterly business meetings for our school SIG, where that we have um, just the board gets together and talks, and that's open to any member. So if you just want to yeah. listen in and hear what we're talking about and you think, oh, I could do that, then you would know you could volunteer. So you can just kind of eavesdrop on that meeting and then see if you have ideas or anything that you want to jump up for and volunteer. And I, I like how you said listen in, so you don't have to, um, it's not, if you join a meeting, you don't have to talk, you don't have to like be involved right away, but it's a good way to kind of dip your feet in and see, how the meetings run or how um you know what kind of ideas come up and that way yeah. you can kind of slowly get involved from there exactly i think that's really it's a it's can be a little daunting to like jump in and volunteer for something right away so i think going to the town halls and going to the the um, school sig board meetings the leadership meetings might mm -hmm. be a great way to just kind of get a sense of the flavor of what's going on and and you know, figure out what you might want to follow up on. Yeah, in an in a easy way. Perfect. I just hope that I have conveyed my passion for school-based PT. It is a fantastic practice setting. Um, it is meaningful. You work right where kids need skills and you can make a powerful impact. And I just, I hope that you guys will all consider it for your rotations. I hope you will consider it as a place that you would like to work and get some more information about school-based practice. Um, the only other thing I'll mention is that uh, students, new professionals, your academy needs you. We <laughs> need to have the perspective that you bring. And I, I wanna encourage each of you that you are not a novice, you are a bringer of fresh new perspective and ideas that your academy is desperate for. So if you don't discount your thinking or your question, please bring it forward. Please use the conduits that you have through the, um, the new advocacy folks at the state level, through the directors that are established. Just tell somebody something. We need to know what you guys see and um, we need your, your perspective to help get this academy going where it needs to go. So don't discount your own ideas, perspective, questions, or whatever you want to bring, bring it. I love that. Thank you for reaching out and thank you for this podcast. I think it is doing some good work. And I, if you go to combined section meeting or you go to the Academy of Pediatrics annual conference, we yeah. usually have a school SIG social at a minimum. Sometimes, sometimes there's a meeting 
but just check your program and keep your ear to the ground. Um, we usually are gathering together to have some, some fun time at the conference, so join in on that too. Perfect. Well, I appreciate um, you joining and um, just being able, being willing to talk with us for this podcast and just teach our listeners a little bit more about school-based SIG and just school-based physical therapy in general. I really, really appreciate it. You guys, I really enjoyed this conversation with Lori. Check out our show notes for links to all the resources Lori mentioned. And like always, feel free to leave a rating and a review below and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Till next time, friends.